I think you're ready to foster or adopt when you get to the place where you don't want a kid for your family, but you want to give your family to a kid. Welcome back to a new season of Big Little Choices. This is Shri, and I'm so excited to bring you more stories, more inspiring choices, and more opportunities for all of us to learn about what other amazing women and mothers are doing. We really want this season to inspire you and to make a choice or choices that are right for you. If you've heard episodes from the previous season, I hope your takeaway was that you can make an unconventional choice, stay true to yourself, and still have a happy ending. Hope you enjoy the show. In today's conversation, we will hear from Monica. Monica had a pretty normal childhood until her parents abruptly got divorced when she was about 11. Her mom ended up moving away with her brother and Monica stayed back with her dad. And during this difficult time, Monica found comfort in her church. She heard the gospel for the first time and made the decision to live her life for Jesus. What she also found from her church was a strong community that took care of her and instilled a strong foundation of helping and caring for one another. A few years later, when she was in high school, she met her now husband, Danny. Danny had also grown up watching his parents get divorced, and in the early years together, Monica and him relived a part of their childhood that they hadn't been able to do before. They also quickly knew that they would spend the rest of their lives together and shared a deep desire to adopt or become foster parents and help vulnerable children. We always thought we would adopt internationally, and then we started learning about foster care and decided wow, there's like all these kids right here in the U.S. that need homes. And we didn't really know anything about foster care at the time. So what that meant to us at the moment, I can't even really recall. But um, I think we we knew enough that there was this term called foster adopt. And um, we did some Google searching. And funnily enough, we saw an ad on Hulu about a foster family agency in our area. So we went to an interest meeting there and had a follow-up interview with them on the phone and Part of that process, they asked us if we wanted to have biological kids. And while I, I was kind of okay either way, my husband did at some point want to have biological kids as well. And so when we shared that with them, they basically said, you know, you're, you're an ideal match for what we, the types of families that we want in every way, but you need to come back after you've had biological kids. And, and how does having a biological kid affect this? That is a really good question. It, it does and it doesn't. And it turns out this was just a specific mindset of that foster family agency. But because information was so hard to find at the time, we didn't know where else to go or even if there was another mindset about it. it now we know that plenty of people foster before they have biological kids. And we're okay with the fact that this was how our story unfolded now. But it is like unfortunate that this foster family agency, like, didn't at least present alternate options for us because it is certainly not required that you would, you know, have your biological kids and then choose to foster. People can foster while having biological kids. You can foster before, you can foster after. And unfortunately, because information is so hard to find, we just sort of took their word for it. So given information was limited, Monica and her husband decided to go with what the foster agency suggested and went ahead and tried to have biological children. Monica unfortunately lost her first at 18 weeks, but went on to have a healthy son and daughter after that. And at that point, they were ready to reopen the possibility of fostering children. The first step was doing some research so she could explore how to get invested in foster care. Her idea was to start a ministry that would support her desire to take care of vulnerable children. 
And a chance meeting with another woman who had a similar vision led Monica to take on a leadership role at her ministry. Simultaneously, she worked on getting certified to becoming a foster parent and along the way had some clarity on her and Danny's intention on how they plan to welcome foster children into their home. We learned so much about foster care from kind of when I had started this journey on my sabbatical from work to when we finished our classes that we had really decided that we wanted to be a little bit more open to the idea of traditional foster care. And the goal of foster care is reunification um, and adoption happens out of it, but it's not the primary focus. And so we went on this journey from being like strictly focused on foster adopt to being open and willing to being a part of that redemptive process for families if that's kind of what we were presented with. And sure enough, we have fostered five kids and all of them have reunified to a biological family member and we haven't had the opportunity yet to adopt. When you say reunification, Mm -hmm. it means that the children that you fostered get reunited with a biological family member? Yes, or somebody in their close community. And in your experience, why were these kids in a foster home to begin with? Majority of them, at least. Yep. The majority of kids are in foster care due to some form of neglect. So that can be like physical neglect for them. It could be that their home is unfit for kids. It's unclean. It's not safe. It could be there's domestic violence, not necessarily towards the children, but in the home. And that's very traumatizing for people to be around. So it can be that. It could be their parents, you know, might be drug addicts, they might leave them in unsafe situations. So there's a lot of types of neglect. Um, and that is the main reason, though, is some form of neglect would be the main reason why children are removed from their home. And then their parents are given a lot of services to try to educate them on how to be better parents. And they have all these systems in place to try to maintain the relationship between the kids and the parents during that time in the hopes that reunification becomes possible. So everything in in social services is really at the mercy of this goal for reunification. So for some of these kids who come into foster care, it sounds like they come with a certain amount of trauma, right? Like clearly from a house that was not an ideal environment for them. Mm -hmm. When you made this decision, or rather when you and Danny made this decision to become foster parents, at any point were you worried about how that would affect you as individuals? Absolutely. We for sure knew it was going to affect us. I don't think we knew. You can't really anticipate how much and how, you know, the various specific ways it's going to affect you. But, you know, we we spent a lot of time trying to prepare ourselves as best as we could leading into it. And and the classes that they make you go through to become approved um, and the whole process, really, it does help to prepare you some in some ways. And I think The biggest area that we always say that it didn't prepare us for and that we didn't realize until we were in it was that the idea of reunification often is at the expense of what is best for the kids, it feels like. And so when you're learning about the system being about reunification, you think, of course, this is like a good thing for kids. To be reunited with a family member. Yes. And it, it is in many cases. But when you're in it and you see the courts constantly making decisions that feel like they're for reunification versus for the best interest of the child, suddenly you realize that that is like a really, really important distinction. And as foster parents, you really don't have a lot of control over that, which is 
probably the second thing that's most hard about foster care is realizing how little control you have as a foster parent and how how hard it is to advocate for the kids in your home and to even have control over what's best for them because so much of your life becomes mandated by the court and their their case plan. You know, you've obviously invested a certain amount of like love, time and energy in caring for these foster children. Mm-hmm. Apart from the fact that the reunification process, when it's not done at the best interest of the children, that's one hard piece. But what is it like for you as foster parents when these children go away? It is so hard. So um, our first placement, we got a call. We were at the Oakland Zoo walking up the hill to see the camels and got the call. And um, it was she was two two days old. She was still in the hospital. She was this was be your first placement. Our first placement, yes. So she was going to be discharged from the hospital that day, and they were wondering if we could take her. Um, and so we left the zoo with our friends that were with us and our kids, and drove back and got the car seat installed in the car and pulled down a bunch of bins with clothes. And my dad came to watch our kids while we drove to the hospital and met our first foster daughter and so we had her from when she was two days old until she was five months and in that time she met she had one visit with biological family members which were her two oldest siblings they were 17 and 18 for one hour until two weeks before they moved her so for five months she was completely ours. Her parents showed up only to her first visit when she was like six days old and then never showed up again to a visit. So we were the only family she had. She was so much a part of our lives and our family and our community. Everyone just poured into her and she was the sweetest baby. And then one day we knew she had a court date and one day we just got a call. I was walking into a meeting at work and her social worker said her aunts going to be coming in a week to take her and like our whole lives changed because of that call and even now as I even now I can't really imagine life without her even though she's not in our life every day and um, it is extremely hard to know a child and have to say goodbye to them and wonder all the time about how they're doing and Also, I would never change it. It was also really hard for our family just um, because our kids were so young for them to understand it happening so quickly. And they just are probably better at foster care than my husband and I even are in terms of their ability to just love so freely and kind of just get on board. We always say that we didn't expect that they would be creative for foster care and called to it just as much as we felt like we were. After this experience, Monica and Danny went on to take two more placements. The second one was with twin boys who stayed with them for four days, and then twin girls who stayed with them for a year. And this was an incredibly hard experience, but at the same time, the reason why fostering was so important to Monica and Danny. I think, honestly, one of the hardest things even was seeing how the trauma that they were going through and how that was affecting us and our family, like, you know, made me have to really reflect on things about myself as well, like my inability to be patient with them or to, you know, step back and see the big picture of like when they're, you know, screaming in my face for the sixth hour straight in the middle of the night, like to be patient and know that that's because of things that have happened to them. And, you know, I just, I found myself 
being pretty frustrated a lot with my own, you know, reactions to things and parenting is hard enough as it is. And then you add kids that have been through trauma and you add schedules that are unrealistic for pretty much anyone, but especially for working parents and like the county not necessarily being very supportive and helpful in the midst of that. And then you see them making choices that you feel like aren't in the best interest of the kids and you don't have a lot of say in it. There's just a lot of stress that comes with all of that. And and then there's just the realities of like, okay, when we're spending so much time and attention on these kids, like things, other things suffer. So, you know, we both of us made a lot of sacrifices at work. We had to make a lot of sacrifices in our relationships with our friends and our family by just spending a lot less time with people that we cared about. And I think we were pretty good about still, you know, giving our biological children a lot of what they needed, but it's still like not easy to be around kids that are screaming all the time. Like there were times in the car where my son, I could just see him like getting completely overstimulated and overwhelmed by the crying and the screaming because it just was nonstop, like all the time. And he was, you know, two and a half, three. And it's just like, it's too much for anyone, but especially such a young child to handle. It, it was very hard and there was a lot of tax that we all had. And even still, like we all, when we talk about it, are so thankful that we had that time with the twins. We love them so much. Um, and we, we like my kids pray for them pretty much every day still. And they've been out of our home for almost a year now. And we actually had a random opportunity to have them back in our home for 10 days. And that was just such a gift, um, especially given that we didn't know this at the time, but we haven't gotten to see them since. And so that was almost five months ago. And when they reunified with their dad at the end of those 10 days, he has chosen not to allow us to see them anymore. So that's been really, really hard. And in the time we had them, we really tried hard to give him no reason to, we tried to find ways to build trust with him. And so it's been a little bit shocking that he has continued to refuse to allow us to be involved in their lives. And it's really hard when you just care about these kids so much. They are, they are a part of our family and to feel like, there is a real chance that we could never see them again. It sounds like when the kids leave, it's incredibly hard on you as well as your kids. But what makes you do it over and over again? I know you said that, you know, you feel like this is your, this is the purpose of life in some ways of caring for other people and especially given your own thing about like, you know, caring for vulnerable kids. But apart from all of that, when it's so hard, when these foster children leave, what makes you do it over and over again? My, my answer to that question to people when they ask me about like getting too attached or like, you know, how, how can you do that is like, I think you're ready to foster or adopt when you get to the place where you don't want a kid for your family, but you want to give your family to a kid. And so that was the decision that we made. It's like we wanted to give our family as a gift to these children and to be a gift to them however we could be. And that doesn't change when they leave. You know, we still know there's all these kids in need. And so if we can be a gift to a child in need, then like we want to do that. And 
as much as it hurts and as painful as it is, that shouldn't affect the next kid that needs that, that needs a home, that needs loving parents, that needs, you know, brothers and sisters to help them heal and cope with the trauma that they've been through. And so that's why even at the moment when we're not fostering, like I always want to be involved in this in one way or another, because there are so many children out there that because of nothing that they've done, they're they're in these like really lonely, vulnerable, hurt places. And I, I feel like it's such an honor to get to be a part of their healing journey. And I also feel like it's urgent because kids only have so much time to learn things like attachment and to, to recover from some of these really basic needs that haven't been met and to, to get to a place where they've healed enough that it will not affect them for the rest of their lives. And kids that haven't been taught how to attach well to other humans will struggle with that for their entire life. And so it feels very urgent to me to be a part of that restorative and healing process for kids, however I can be. And and I'm only human, so like, I, you know, there's nothing special about me or or my husband. But truly, like, what kids need is like pretty basic. You know, they need love, they need attention, they need food, they need clothing, they need shelter, they need consistency. And so we feel really honored to be a part of that journey for the five kids that we've had in our home. Is it faith in that this is your responsibility? Do you feel like this is your responsibility to care for these children? I mean, I would say, yes, my faith plays a huge role in it. And sure, I think some of that is responsibility, but I would say it's more of a response than a responsibility. So, I mean... The gospel is that Jesus stepped into the mess of our lives to give us the gift of eternal life, which basically means being a part of God's family forever. And so I feel like this is the truest way that I can reflect that gospel in my life is to step into the messes of life that are around me and to like love unconditionally in the midst of those and to like live as selflessly as I can in those circumstances. So sometimes that's with a coworker, sometimes that's with a friend, and sometimes that's with these kids. And, you know, it's it's not something, a choice that I'm like just making for them. Like I want that to be the reflection of my whole life. Is this like being willing to walk in the hard places with people and come alongside them in it. And so I think for us, foster care was something we felt really clearly called to, but I don't think everyone should be a foster parent per se. I think everyone can be involved in caring for vulnerable children, whether it's, you know, children who need to be adopted, kids who's, you know, are just in hard places, at-risk kids, you know, there's human trafficking is a huge problem and there's so many ways that people can care for children in those situations. So I think there's a lot of ways, but for Danny and I, we, we knew that we were being called to be foster parents and We've done that now and we're still approved and we still were on a support team now for a, a woman who's fostering. And, um, you know, we still lead this this ministry at my church around caring for these kids and we'll always be involved in one way or another. Who knows, honestly, if or when we will foster again in the traditional sense that we did in the past. But And you're open to that. It's just that you're not taking any placements right now. Exactly. Yeah. So we're still approved and um, neither of us feel ready to like stop that. And also neither of us feel ready to take a placement um, full time right now. And so we're it's interesting because it is a little bit of a loss in terms of our identity, like for so much of our lives, we knew we wanted to do this. And then for a big chunk of our life so far, like 
you know, two and a half years, we did it. We were foster parents. And now to suddenly not foster feels like a weird adjustment of who we are. And it, you know, is sort of a loss, but also like just kind of a weird thing of being like, this is something we were just known for. And now we're kind of not known for it and being okay with that, you know, being okay with the timing, being okay with the choice to say right now, it's not the time for us to do this. And maybe, and also just being okay with like, maybe we won't ever foster again. And that's, it's really hard for me to say that because it feels like a part of our identity, but in the same way, like I feel really confident and comfortable that we were faithful to what we were called to in that moment. And now we're being faithful to what we're being called to in this moment of our lives too. When you make a choice like this, that doesn't just affect you as adults, but also affects your kids. How did you think about all of that, where you're just not taking on this responsibility, but you're expecting a lot from your biological children in terms of how they treat the other kids who come into their homes, in terms of how they share their parents' attention? And maybe you started early enough where your kids didn't know the difference, really, or maybe they did. But just the fact that you expected so much from your kids by making a choice that felt true to you, but perhaps was not necessarily something that they would have signed up for themselves. Danny and I want our whole lives to reflect the reality of what we say is true about our lives. So if we say that we are followers of Jesus, but don't live that, that's not okay with us for the example that we would set for our kids and for other people. And we, we want to be authentic in what we say and in what we do in our lives. And a big part of that is showing our kids what it looks like to follow Jesus, like no matter what. And that is a life that is not about comfort. It in many ways is about sacrifice. And there's a lot of joy and gratitude that comes in the midst of that. But, you know, we want to be parents to our kids that, that model for them like the life and the hope that we hope that they have as adults. And so I think one of the best gifts that we can give to our kids is to model behaviors for them um, that are consistent with what we say is true about our lives and who we want to be. And also teaching them about living sacrificially for other people, whether or not they make a decision to um, follow Jesus the way that we have, like we know that this is a gift that we can give them to teach them to love others and to not live a life that's fully focused on themselves and to be willing to be brave about the hard things in life and to step into those hard things. And there's actually a song that the chorus is, You Make Me Brave, that during this season of our life was one of my daughter's favorite songs. And it was sort of an anthem we all needed, but for them to get to see us make those choices, I think is really important for building resilience in them and in their lives and helping them just to realize that this, this world and this life is more than just about them, but is about, you know, how we connect with everyone around us, not just the people that we're closest to. And if you're always trying to outserve one another, there's just like a lot of joy that comes in that. And this like kind of mutual submission often I think is really frowned upon or like this idea of um, laying down your life is, is not really popular, but as somebody who tries to live it and certainly not perfectly, like I find a lot of joy in it. And I, of course I want that for my kids then too. Like I want them to see what it looks like when you live your life for other people and you get the joys of just being involved and showing love freely. And also then you have these deep connections with people that you kind of don't even feel like you deserve in some ways. 
Monica's story left a strong impression on me. Her deep-rooted belief in wanting to step into the hard places, be of service for those who need it, and show her kids how to live a life that shows purpose, meaning and generosity. Values that left me wondering how I could make some shifts in my own life. We wrapped up our chat with final thoughts on making difficult choices, especially those that make you question your purpose every single day. Your kids need somebody who's going to live by example. I feel like one of the biggest disservices that we can do to our kids or you know just even to ourselves is to like not be genuine in what we say and in what we do. So there's that and I think also you have to own your choices and your decisions for what you want to be known for as a family and this is sort of like the basics of coming up with values as a family and my husband and I aren't great at necessarily articulating things like that but it doesn't mean that they don't sort of inherently exist for us and I think it kind of just comes back to being intentional you know are you living your life intentionally whatever your life is whether you're a parent not a parent if you're married you're single like i think there's just something really special about taking the time to be intentional about how you live when we as a family live consistently with the things that we say matter and are important to us as a family like those are the times when our family works way better you know we still have our meltdowns we still have all these normal human things that everyone goes through but like you know even just your attitude in dealing with those things is so different when you feel like everyone is kind of being true to the most important things about life thank you for listening to this episode and i hope you enjoyed it i'll be back soon with another interview and until then if you have any feedback or comments on the kinds of choices you want to hear more about let me know